0: To the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Aspiring GCs, whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Ham, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. More importantly, I share your aspiration of one day becoming a general counsel, but like you, I'm not sure how to get there. That's where our Conversations with GCs comes in. The purpose of the podcast is to help aspiring GCs find the practical and actionable guidance they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role, essential skills, and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. Before we start the conversation, one quick request we would love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dphamm at gmail.com. That's dphamm at gmail.com. Today, I'm joined by Jackie Lee. Jackie is the general counsel of Flynn Restaurant Group, America's largest restaurant franchise with over 2,300 restaurants nationwide. She represents the company in a wide range of commercial, real estate, employment, and tort disputes, and provides the company with strategic counsel on contract, risk management, corporate development, intellectual property, and employment issues. She's an experienced trial lawyer that has managed all aspects of litigation and has played a lead role in jury and bench trials, as well as arbitration. Jackie has written and spoken extensively on litigation strategy, intellectual property protection and enforcement, and diversity in the legal profession. And her contributions have been recognized by a number of legal publications, including the Legal 500 United States and Northern California Super Lawyers. In 2021, Jackie was honored with Corporate Council's Women Influence and Power in Law Award for leadership through crisis, retail and consumer goods. Prior to joining Flynn Restaurant Group in 2018, Jackie was a partner in Joan Day's, Jones Day's Silicon Valley office. Jackie, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your journey for aspiring GCs. Thanks
1: for having me.
0: So, want to start like we do these conversations with the path that led you to gc and and before we talk about the motivations to drive you there going a step back did you were you born um, knowing you're going to be a lawyer or did that come later in life
1: it's pretty close to having been born knowing i wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> My, um, my mother is a lawyer. She actually just recently retired after several decades of practice. She was a sole practitioner, ran her own immigration firm. Um, and actually the idea of our, our parents was that us four kids would uh, all become lawyers and take over the practice. So from, from when I was real little, I, I thought I would be a lawyer. Turns out I was the only one that ended up actually being interested in going to law school and becoming a lawyer. Um, But I had that sort of seed planted right from the very beginning.
0: Well, that's great. So you grew up in the law office, uh, getting to know the staff and watching your mom work then?
1: Absolutely. Yes, we definitely um, all worked in in the law office as, as kids. I remember we earned like a like a quarter for a certain number of, of envelopes licked and, and letters sent. Um, so it's I guess it's in my blood
0: being in a, in a law firm. So you're billing six minute increments by the time you were five. that's right exactly so so you were being groomed to be a lawyer you're the one uh, it's stuck with and so um you're you're in law you're in college thinking about law school um how was that process for you did you was it kind of selected here's where I'm going to school or did you have a a a wide selection and it was kind of a hard search yeah so um
1: when I was an undergrad so I went to stanford um for undergrad i majored in philosophy um with the goal of basically just writing as much as i could Mm. um in in undergrad i love to write and so it was a great way to hone my persuasive writing skills and remember taking um something about uh, a course on um, American law or uh, American legal history, which was taught by one of the Stanford professors and really enjoyed that course. And that ended up solidifying my interest in in applying to law school. Applied to law school, really focused my search on um, Bay Area schools because I love the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area. As you can tell, I haven't really Strayed far and, and ultimately was um, accepted at, at UC Hastings, which is a great um, school with a really strong um, uh, litigation program, trial, trial advocacy, moot court program, which ended up being significant for when I ended up enrolling in the law school because I had started thinking I was going to go join my mother's practice after law school as an immigration attorney and after taking moot court in my first year realized, no, actually, I love litigation. This is what I want to do.
0: Yeah, it's really it's really great. Most of the folks that I talk to on the GC path made their way through kind of the corporate insecurities um, path. Uh, not that I've talked to everybody, but I like sure. the the litigation path and, and the angle uh, there, because I think that's going to add some really unique perspective, because I do, I think there is some who are aspiring to the chair think, well, I need to be a corporate insecurities lawyer. And if I'm not, maybe GC is not for me. And so it's good to hear there are a lot of different roads there um, and, and the path to litigation. So clearly moot court was a big deal. You were drawn to litigation. What, what drew you to uh, litigation as opposed to, you know, like like me who is, a, who is a corporate securities lawyer what what uh what drew you to that uh specialty i think
1: a lot of it really does have to do with the emphasis on writing and mm. persuasive writing i loved research and writing i know that makes me sound like a big nerd but i'll just embrace this is a safe place <laughs> exactly <laughs> i just love that process i loved yeah. um Coming up with the most persuasive arguments, reading a bunch of cases and being able to find the common thread and distill it in a way that would make sense, where you'd have the court nodding with you. And a lot of it, your success depends on, um, you know, your ability to communicate clearly, both in writing and um, in oral argument. And I'm sure my, my parents can confirmed that I'm a talker. Um, so it was really perfect for the kinds of things that that I liked and was good at. Um, and the other thing that I really love to do beyond reading and writing is I just love stories, right? The mm. the litigation doesn't matter what kind of litigation. At the end of the day, it's all about telling a story, mm. having someone understand you know, your point of view, your client's point of view. So it was really, it really appealed to that piece of me. I also, I mean, you'll find this with anybody that identifies as a trial lawyer or litigator. I also really love to win. Um <laughs> so so litigation really ended up being for me.
0: That's great. And So you obviously did well in law school, found yourself at Jones Day, um where we're billing, you know, 3500 4000 hours a week. I'm sure or year I know. Um and and so when when did you get the first inkling that maybe you'd want to put on the jersey, go in-house and and leave the private practice behind?
1: Yeah. And so this might be an unusual answer to hear, but I actually had no intention of Mm. ever going in-house. I thought that I would retire a Jones Day partner. I started at Jones Day as a summer associate, um, was there through making partner. I had a really outstanding experience They're, you know, great work, complex um, litigation, great opportunities, really wonderful mentors and talented, talented lawyers I was working with who also happened to be just genuinely kind people that were Mm -hmm. incredible leaders. And so, you know, it, it was a place that looked out for me, gave me lots of opportunities, was good, good to me. And good for me. And I thought I would retire there. Um, It was only after one of my mentors at the firm, who was one of the folks that interviewed me as a a second year law student for the summer associate position, she ended up leaving the firm um, to become general counsel at Flynn. And, um, and she had hired me to represent, um, one of Flynn's, um, sister companies, the Flynn properties company that handles the, um, sort of, uh, real estate side of the business. Um, and hired me to first chair an arbitration. And after, uh, we won the arbitration, she'd called me up and extended me an offer to join the company because she was um, building her legal department. And it was really at that moment, I was faced with the choice of, do I stay with the firm, which has been good, good to me and, and where I, you know, I credit sort of my upbringing as a a lawyer. Do I stay there for basically three more decades um, doing what I was doing, or do I take a chance, but a calculated risk going to um, Flynn Restaurant Group, follow a leader I really admired um, and love to work with and get a new experience in an industry that I think is fascinating. Uh, and ultimately, um, much to probably most people's surprise, including my own, I decided to take that chance. Um, you know, lawyers are not known for being uh, embracing of, of risk. Uh, but but I took that chance and haven't looked back. And, um, and that's how I found myself in this in-house role. And, and at that time, I transitioned to in-house. It was into a associate general counsel uh, position for litigation.
0: Well, Jackie, your story is so unique on, on a couple levels. One, the litigation path that we've talked about. Um, you are a great storyteller, so see why it fit. And then the second, uh, your experience in big law being so positive. I, I think that's great. You know, I, one of the counsels that I, I received growing up is you never want to run from something. You want to always want to run to something. And so I, I really appreciate that aspect of your story. And I think it's great to hear that despite all the stuff you see on social media, there's actually some wonderful, uh, a lot of wonderful people in the big law scene and, and a lot of good, wonderful experiences to be had. So I, I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, thank you. I I feel incredibly fortunate to have had that kind of experience. It's one of the reasons why I'm so driven to participate in the legal community and participate in mentorship opportunities and why um, leadership and management is so important to me. I've been really lucky to have enjoyed every job I've ever had. And I really, that's so rewarding. I really want everyone to have that experience that can have that experience. So to the extent that I can contribute to that, I really want to, because I I feel like that is a really meaningful way to, to be able to to spend a big chunk of your day doing something that you enjoy doing alongside people that you really enjoy working with.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate that. I will say you are the first person that I've ever heard say that they enjoyed every job that they've ever had. That is Fantastic, <laughs> but I, I I do appreciate because you you do hear a lot of people in law school or a lot of people who are lawyers talk about how unhappy they are, unfulfilled, yeah. and and I I always kind of say I think going to law school, being a lawyer is the best thing you could ever do because I I love it as well. I haven't loved every job that I've had, but I I think it's such a tremendous um, path because there's such a variety to it, right? Litigation so different from transactional in house, so different from from the firm uh, so so really appreciate that perspective i think it's one that needs to be um emphasized uh, a, a bit broader so thank you for that sure so uh, one question that i always like to ask is um for for those of us on the outside who haven't um, landed the gc role what was it like uh, so you followed your mentor uh, your associate general counsel then it, it evidently mentor went on to, to a new adventure and you were the, I guess, heir apparent, or, or how, how did that work and, and what did it feel like realizing you were becoming your, your mentor, at least taking your seat?
1: It, it was a whirlwind. Um, my mentor, Jane Freud, who's now um, general counsel at Treasury Wine Estates for the Americas, which is a, a great wine company um, with their American operations based out of Oakland and Napa, Um, When, when she left, it was about a year after I joined and I was not expecting that. Um, And it was not clear who would um, succeed Jane in that role. Um, But I will tell you, you know, she really advocated for me to be in that role. And now sort of looking back, I could see that she was grooming me to take over that position Um, in the sense that, you know, while I was at the company, although my chief responsibilities were litigating cases for the company, and and that's one of the unique things about Flynn Restaurant Group is that we handle a large chunk of our litigation in-house. So I was, you know, litigating cases while I was um, an in-house attorney. She was also trying to um, give me opportunities outside of that core area of responsibilities, Mm -hmm. whether it was um, reviewing and negotiating commercial agreements, giving me exposure to the leadership and our colleagues in other departments, um, involving me in privacy related initiatives, really trying to give me a broad perspective um, of the company and our role as the legal department, which is essential to the general counsel role. And yeah. so, you know, when she left, I was I was surprised, um, and um, but also grateful for what ended up being an opportunity that was extended to me. Someone who'd only been in house for a year um, had never wow. actually directly managed anyone before, um, and that's it's different managing someone in that context as opposed to just being, you know, a senior attorney at a firm, um, where there isn't that same sort of direct reporting relationship. So it was, um, it, it was a little intimidating, but you know, I, I, I was up for the challenge and yeah. I do love a good, a good challenge and, um, and did everything I, I could really to get up to speed. And Jane spent time with me before she left to to you know, hand off her responsibilities and make introductions and set me up for success. Um, so I'm very grateful, but it it really was a whirlwind. It was not something I was expecting.
0: Wow, yeah, another unique part of your story, Jackie. I think um, you know two themes there. You know, going from your core area of competency, you litigation, um, to those other areas, and then transitioning from an individual contributor to a people manager uh lead really well into kind of the next segment which is looking at the essential skills and characteristics for being a successful gc you know very different like you said from being a Uh, an individual contributor doing one function of the legal group to being the person who's overseeing the entire legal function, how it fits into the whole of the organization um, in areas that are significantly beyond your core area of expertise. So in transitioning, making that transition, what are some key skills and characteristics that have served you well that you've observed over these years um, that are really important if you want to go from an individual contributor to the people manager into the the lead legal role.
1: Absolutely. So, some of the skills that I I had that helped me make that transition, number 1, strong written and oral communication skills and the ability to adapt my communication to the audience and the stakeholders. Yeah. There are so many different stakeholders when you go in-house from You know, the the area directors and operators at above store level to members of the C-suite, right? And and your fellow department heads. You get a lot of this kind of training, I think, or you should as a junior associate in a law firm, because every partner has his or her preferences, right? right? That some like being to be communicated via email. Some prefer a call, some want you to come to their office, right? You're constantly or you should be constantly learning your audiences and your clients' preferences yeah. and adapting uh, to their preferences and be willing to, you know, do some uh, trial and error until you figure out what's the most effective means of communication. And that's really how do you get to that person the information and only the information that person cares about and needs to make a a good decision? And then what is your strategy for either persuading them of a particular recommendation or giving them the tools they need to execute on a decision um, themselves? Because everybody really has a preference as to whether they just want you to come out with your recommendation or whether they just want you to be really good at packaging up the information they need to make their own decision with your consultation. So I think really strong communication skills and being able to adapt them to your audience and being willing to adapt them to your audience is really, really important and served me well. I had great mentors at the firm who were excellent at that kind of skill. Um, and then the other is really, you know, I have this love of learning. I always loved school. I have a strong sense of curiosity. I love to learn new things outside of my core area of competency. Um, And this business really lends itself to that because I love the restaurant industry. And I think food and dining is fascinating. Everything about it, really, including the minutiae and that kind of interest and desire to understand your client's business helps you give better advice. You're not going to give them advice that they would never take because it's incompatible with the business because you understand the operation of the business. So having that sense and desire to learn the business and learn what motivates your clients, I think has served me really well in this role as well.
0: Did you know Jackie that you were passionate about the um restaurant industry before you took the role or is that is that a passion that developed as you've grown into the role?
1: You know that's a great question and I have always really loved the restaurant industry and food and um and dining. Um and I but I never thought that that would be part of my career or Mm. profession. I thought it was just a hobby. So, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch Food Network probably too much all the time. (laughs) I remember as a high school student buying um, a book called, I think it was like uh, Running a Restaurant for Dummies, not because I had any uh, aspirations to ever actually open a restaurant, but because I just thought it was interesting. Um, and so it was always just an interest and a hobby until I got this opportunity. and then it was as if the stars aligned and I was suddenly doing what I was always meant to do.
0: So I'm, I'm just super fascinated on this concept of you had two independent passions, law. And this restaurant foodie sort of tendency is what I'm hearing, and and those two were able to merge, and so it brings up something I haven't talked about yet, which is the role of the underlying industry um, yeah. that that you that you go into. Um, for for example, I just took an in-house role that was in corporate and securities, and I've been industry agnostic really. So I've gone from mm-hmm. tech uh, to now to now you know the materials uh, industry, which could not be more different <laughs> and, Funny, yeah. and, and i wouldn't say like i i have this like passion for either of those industries but it's i i'm super interested about what you would say to folks who are jumping in-house about looking at the industry itself as opposed to just looking at the role because i think That's what most of us do is just the role. Okay. Do I have five to seven years? I'm a securities lawyer. Great comp's fine. I'll take a chance. What, what would you say? I I know you kind of went into it, but looking at folks make, even making the champ jump from, uh, the firm to in-house putting on the Jersey, what would you counsel them about? Make sure you're happy with the industry or, or do you think the stars, like you said, just the line for you and, and, uh, maybe won't for everybody else.
1: Yeah. I think that if you are interested Mm. in the industry, it can add a whole new dimension of professional gratification to your life. I don't know that it is absolutely necessary. And I say that because I was at the firm for over a decade, also industry agnostic. I did everything from um litigation of life sciences yeah. cases to enterprise software to semiconductor packaging. Now that I look back, I think to myself like, oh, um that, that those industries were not inherently fascinating to me. I think yeah. I loved the process of learning about the technology, especially if right. it was consumer-facing. So networking equipment, I always thought was really interesting right. because it's something that you that folks interact with even without knowing about right. it every day. Right. But I do think that if you can find yourself a position where you're just so interested in either the brand or the industry. You could be an even better attorney because you'll be that much more motivated to learn about the business and um, and the, the operators or the stakeholders in your business and what motivates them. You know, I read industry publications all the time and they're not legal industry publications. They're just industry publications about what's yeah. going on in the restaurant business. And I, I read that on my free time and I think it's interesting. I read books about the restaurant industry. I think that makes me a better counselor because I just know what people care about in my industry, what my clients care about. So I think you can you can have a, a fulfilling career without be, that being a component of your job, but I think you could have a more fulfilling career <laughs> if you're yeah. able to find a way to align the stars. And frankly, I think it makes it more likely that you'll be able to Um, excel in your job in a way that will give you opportunities to rise in the organization. If that's what you aspire to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If you're reading industry publications for fun, you're set up more for success. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, I I love, so the, the three skills characteristics I heard for you were communication, being able to, to really get sharp and adapt to your audience, studying your audience. I love that. Love of learning the second curiosity, um, and then just being passionate uh, about the the work, and and those are great. What what would you say you've grown into um, as you've uh, over this time of being GC? You've grown. What would be your biggest areas of growth? Would you say?
1: Yeah, I think it's really two areas. The first is something that I alluded to earlier, which is um, people management, um, and the second was networking so with respect to people management up until the point that i was elevated into the general counsel role i had never had a direct reporting relationship where i was managing people it's very different in the firm you know as you become a senior attorney and even a partner no one's directly reporting to you. You're not responsible directly for right. someone's success on your team. You're not the one doing the discipline. It's usually the you know, managing partner of your office or maybe HR. You're not having to directly manage the, the staff. Um, it's very, very different. And you don't really get that difference until it's your job um, to be a manager. And um, as it turns out, I really love this role being a manager, but I'll tell you, I probably read four or five books in the like first, you know, three months of, of um, becoming a GC and assuming this management role, because I felt like I did not have the the background, right. i managed cases. I've managed teams, but not people. So Mm. I did a lot of reading. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts uh, over the pandemic too, because managing people became very different um, and mm-hmm. just talk with other leaders of legal departments to see how they were managing their their teams, because it was really important to me. This is a pretty big responsibility. You're responsible for folks' professional lives, which is like mm-hmm. a third of their, their days, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And so that was one area in which... I was really forced to grow real fast, but I think it's an area um, where I've developed some some strong skills. And then the second area where I think I needed to grow and where I've seen, I think personally a lot of growth in the last, um, I guess it's two and a half years, almost three years of being in this role is is networking. So mm-hmm. I consider myself <clears throat> I consider myself an introvert. Um, And so when you think of networking, you often think of going to the mixer. And for me, it would be like hanging out just long enough so I could say that I went and then leaving as soon as possible.
0: Absolutely. It's it's not
1: my jam. (laughs) That's not, that's really (laughs) like not the environment in which I I thrive. Um, but that's actually like a really quite uh, limited and antiquated notion of, of networking. Um, What you find when you get into the general counsel role, and frankly, any in-house counsel role, is that the the amount of resources you have in an in-house counsel role is way more constricted than you might have had at the firm, right? You don't have a global firm with a bunch of experts located across the globe, right, ready to help you. Um, you don't necessarily have access, depending on your legal department, to like Westlaw Law and Lexis right. <laughs> and Bloomberg and yeah. all of those resources that um, folks might take for granted being at the firm. So, what you really need is people. You need people who are invested in your success at the company, who are willing to talk with you about how they're handling things at their company. Uh, lawyers and law firms who are willing to give you some free advice on the side right like so right. You, you don't have to be worrying about your budget every time you have a question because right. they're thinking about the long term and building a long term relationship those, right. those are the the really smart outside counsel um but you need to develop your network so you can become a more successful advisor in your company uh, i i think that many in-house counsel will have had the experience of giving their client Uh, or clients some advice. And the client asking, well, what is X company doing? What are the other companies in the industry doing? Mm. You can give way better advice if you already know what everyone else is doing, because you're connected with the other members of the legal department in that industry. So that, that, it became clear that I needed to expand my network and really cultivate contacts in my network. And, you know, that goes for being a good advisor, but it also relates to being a good leader and recruiter of people into Mm -hmm. your group. Um, And so I think that's, that's a pretty essential, but again, sort of like industry agnostic subject matter agnostic skill that yeah. i needed to succeed in this role and that i've you know really focused on developing
0: the last two and a half three years any tricks for the listeners on on how to to grow network i know you have a great presence on linkedin which is how we connected um other than that any sort of thoughts or tips
1: yeah so um i uh I recommend listening to um, this little video I did for the California Minority Council Program Conference. It's like 10 minutes, um, but it gives gives some tips on on networking. But one of my favorite tips to give to folks that's discussed um, on that video, I think you could you could find it on the California Minority Council Program
0: conference. YouTube page. I'll see if if the ABA can put uh, a link in the in the notes.
1: Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite tips to give to people is when you're thinking about networking, it's not just about expanding your network to include more people. Mm. It includes strengthening your existing network. Right. Building upon the relationships that you already have. And one way you can really successfully do that is by introducing people that are already in your network to each other Mm. to strengthen their ties, right? Identify folks who you think could add value to each other's practices. Um, And then every time that they have a conversation with that person or they go out to lunch with that person, they're going to think of you, right? You're the person that helped them do their job better by expanding their network, right? Um, you just are able to strengthen the ties in your network, be top of mind for people. You know, you gain a lot of goodwill that way. And you also just you know, get that great feeling of helping someone else do their job better by putting them in contact with someone that can help them do that. I think that that's Um, an aspect of networking that can often be overlooked, even though it sounds so natural, just introduce people you think would be a good professional match. Um, That's one of my favorite tips that I give people.
0: Yeah, I love it. I've never heard it that way. I've always thought about it from the lens of expansion and not strengthening. So I I like layering that on top. That's really helpful. Um, What one question or or issue or topic I've been posing, and there's been different responses to this, but interested in your take. Um, It seems to me that the higher you go in the in-house realm, the less it becomes about being a lawyer and the more it becomes about being a business partner, business executive leading the legal function but, would you say you've found that to be true in your experience, or would you word it a different way?
1: I think I would word it a different way. I think it remains critical to be a great lawyer. and I think what you will find is that people who have been successful in GC roles are both, right? Mm. They are excellent lawyers and and that is important because they need to be trusted not only by the clients that they are advising and supporting, but they need to be trusted by their team. Mm. You're never going to get the um, support and um, buy-in from your team if you don't know how to do the job, right? Yeah. And and I think that's, that's really critical to the role is being a great lawyer, you know, in whatever um, whatever area you, you might have as your core competency, but, you know, part of being a great lawyer is also just being able to learn real fast right yeah. um and having the interest in learning real fast so being a great lawyer is one piece of it and of course i think i agree the second piece is about being a trusted advisor business partner executive um and that goes to that area of of curiosity we talked about before which is um you know people uh you're you're so much more effective as a lawyer whose job it is to provide really good advice. If your clients trust what you are saying, right. Right. Um, But you can only develop that trust, not only by having the right answers, right. Giving good legal advice, being a good lawyer, but also couching it in terms of um, recognizing what's doable by the company, Mm -hmm. identifying ahead of time, what matters to the company, You know i always find it to be a successful interaction when i've had a um you know whether it's a an email or a meeting with a client or when i've presented my recommendations there are no or very few questions to me knowing that the people i counsel are folks that always have lots of questions that's a sign that i have anticipated their questions Mm. But you can only really do that if you understand the business. and that's not a legal skill, right? Yeah. That's, that's just being engaged with the business, understanding what's important to them, understanding how the business operates. Um, so I think it's both. I, yeah. I don't think it's less of becoming a great being a great lawyer and, and more of becoming a, um, a strong business executive. It really is both.
0: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that feedback. I think that's a great way uh, to put it. Um, so thank you for that. I, moving to GC hot topics, um, you know, one of the areas I wanted to talk about with you was diversity, equity and inclusion. I know that's a passion of yours. Would love to to hear you speak on that and how it plays out at, at your role in your role as a GC and then also the second area here is just really interested as you've grown into a people manager and you have folks that have their area of expertise where they may be a, a subject matter expert in a field where you're not, but you're still managing them. How you navigate that. Um so interested in, in those two topics and your thoughts there.
1: Sure. We could start with um the diversity, equity and inclusion topic, and then and we can touch on how to manage um, folks, whether it's in-house or outside yeah. counsel on yeah. areas of, of um, expertise outside of core competencies. Um, for me, you know, as a diverse attorney woman, um, mixed race, Asian uh, lawyer, it was really um, critical, I think, that I had mentors at the firm who I could identify with and who had reached levels of success that I may not have thought were possible Mm. had I not seen someone that looked like me, had similar experiences growing up as me Mm. um, in the leadership ranks at the firm. So to me, again, I had such wonderful um, professional experiences. um, And I want that to be part of, you know, my teams and, you know, folks who are coming up to the legal profession, their experience too. I see Mm -hmm. how important diversity and inclusion and fairness is for their experience to know that they have someone that. It cares about the same things that they do, sees the same things that they do, feels the same things that they, they do, how important that is to the team. Um, and so, you know, as part of that, I participate in, um, the California minority council program. I've served on the annual business conference committee. Um, you'll see on, on my team, at least it was, um, only recently that we, uh, had any men actually on our team. So we have uh, a team of 10 um, professionals on the legal team, um, eight of whom who are lawyers. um, And um, six of those are women, two are men. And and that was, you know, part of that was um, just an offshoot of ensuring that in the recruiting process, Mm -hmm. I think we were looking to make sure that we weren't just going to our own networks right. right and posting to networks where it might be a much more much less diverse um set of professionals that were looking at at these job postings. It was making sure that we were posting in a variety of different outlets to get the most diverse pool to to submit their um, applications. And um, and we hired the best people for these jobs. And it turned out that for a while they were all women. Um, And, and, um, you know, uh, a portion of those are are racially and ethnically diverse, including myself. And um, I think that really matters not only for the team, my team, but also for our clients. Right. We employ Seventy three thousand employees across the country. Wow. Um, we have a very diverse employee base. Our communities that we serve as the restaurants are diverse. It seems only appropriate and necessary yeah. that the people in the legal department that are protecting their interests are looking out for them and um, and and reflect the diversity of our of the communities we serve and the clients that we serve. So that to me was a really important piece that drives my commitment to diversity is, you know, wanting to um, ensure that we hire the best talent. And part of that is uh, ensuring that we we cast the net to include all and include um, a variety of of different backgrounds and, and points of views and experiences. And it makes us a really strong team, but it's also ensuring that we can meet the needs of our clients which is uh which are uh, diverse
0: yeah no that's that is fantastic i think the one of the actionable things i took away from there was not just limiting the recruiting to your own network but as you said casting the net out uh wider and getting a a diverse a more diverse uh, group of folks and pool um that that's really helpful um I, i appreciate that that's really, uh, that's something that I think anybody listening can do. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. I,
1: and I absolutely, you know, recommend, um, for folks who are looking to, to recruit, I've had tremendous success posting on my jobs on the California Minority Council Program, um, job board. I'm, I think that the, um, minority, um, council, um, uh, association also has a job board um there's lots of um of, of diverse uh, affinity groups that you can post these these jobs to and make sure that you're capturing all the great talent that's out there right now
0: oh that's fantastic thank you so much for those um references and again we'll try to get those in the in the notes um so uh, on on going to cuz you, you had a really great um, response to the question, which was, how do you manage, uh, let's say, Schmees, who are experts, and I was thinking in-house, but you mm-hmm. rightly said, well, it's 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 outhouse, <laughs> or the firms, <laughs> the firms and and those folks in-house, really great uh, dual perspective on that question. H- how do you manage that, or how have you grown into that, or have you always been comfortable with it, or seems like an area where it's like if somebody knows something more than me, but I'm their boss, that that would seem to be uh I don't know, maybe uneasy, um, but interested in your thoughts.
1: yeah, so I will say that that one of the you know advantages to having a lean team is um even when you do have subject matter experts in areas like employment law, you can't wash your hands yourself right. of <laughs> of that area of responsibility. Right. There was a time, when um we had uh our one employment counsel at the time was on maternity leave i was the employment counsel <laughs> for the company and and like remember that you know the first 11 years of my career i did ip litigation right yeah, that's not yeah. my my background um but what i did was surround myself with um trusted advisors right yeah. so at that by that time i had already worked um, with Sharice, our, our um, associate general counsel of employment, for I think about a year at that point, had worked mm. really closely together with her. Again, with that curiosity of like, tell me what I don't know, yes. right? And then also independently learning, right? I I am yeah. not putting it all on my outside counsel or my uh, my my team to educate me. Like I have to take ownership of my own learning. I subscribe to the the same um, outside counsel newsletters that they do. I read the articles, I attend the webinars. So it's a matter of, um, you know, embracing the fact that to be a good manager, you have, you have to have at least a working knowledge of, um, of the subject matter so that, you know, at least know what you don't know. Right. Um, And there are many things that you could, you could probably do yourself, but there are other things. At least you can identify wh- when you need an, an expert, and so it was identifying trusted outside counsel that could help me during the time when um, uh, when my my employment team was me, um, and also hiring people that you know are capable and um, smart and competent, and you know checking their references and all that all, yeah. all that good stuff. But. It's you got to surround yourself with smart people, ideally yeah. smarter than you, yep. um, more knowledgeable than you. But you also have to make the effort to to learn it. So that that goes for everything outside of IP, which is basically my entire practice <laughs> now. There's very little IP. Um, that that touches my my day to day job. So that includes marketing. That includes yeah. you know uh, employment and privacy and real estate. All of those things. Yeah. I I learned because to some extent I I was doing the work myself, but to another extent I knew it was my responsibility to to be able to provide good management and feedback um, and direction. I had to have at least a working knowledge of the basics.
0: Yeah, no, that that's really great. I yeah, I went uh, my last company. I think I had a hundred or so attorneys with very niche specialties. You know, I just did securities, corporate governance, and the current legal team I'm on has three attorneys. And so, you know, your IP lawyer, commercial lawyer, procurement lawyer, admiralty lawyer, securities lawyer, then you have lunch. <laughs> and yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely more diverse and, and interesting, I think. Um, well, I, this has been a great conversation. I kind of lost track of time, Jackie. Um want to get to the last uh, part of just practical and actionable advice for folks like me who are aspiring to be GCs. What would you say are a couple of things? Hey, if, if you... Have this aspiration, or even if you don't, you're listening to the podcast and like, what is a GC? <laughs> what are um, what are some things that you would say? Think about developing here, or think about um, doing this. Uh, what would be some guidance that you provide?
1: Yeah, I think that for anyone who is in house now that aspires to a GC role, you have to really start thinking about how you're going to incorporate. Into your practice, areas outside of your core competencies. It could be, you know, webinars uh, or, you know, taking courses in areas that you see GCs exercise. But in my view, it's better just to do the work and to ask for stretch projects, ask to be included um, to help out on. department level initiatives right you know many smaller legal departments don't have legal operations professionals it's right. just the gc that's trying to figure out the budget and mm. how to save um on outside attorney fees on legal spend um if that part isn't interesting to you it's probably not in the cards for you to to be a GC and that's okay, right? Like that that is okay, but you have to, if that's really what you want, think about what the role entails. The role Mm -hmm. entails management of people. It involves um, legal operations. Mm -hmm. It involves being a pseudo subject matter expert in almost everything. And it involves a commitment to your organization to make it better, Mm -hmm. right? What are things that you can do now outside of your day-to-day practice to make this a better place to work, to make your clients' lives easier? Is it helping the development of people in your department? Is it helping the development of people outside of your department? Are you making connections with people in other departments that will be your peers in, you know, two to five years' time when you when it's time for promotions, right? Um, Think outside of what your core responsibilities are and be really thinking about not, you know, what can my company do for me? When's my next promotion? It really should be about what can I do for my company? What contributions can I make? And how can I make this a better company, a better place to work, you know, a more successful company? Think about that. And that should help you identify some short and long-term goals to, to get to your goal of being GC. It will be a very visible way for you to make an impact on the company. And you know, if, if this is a company that's worth working for, they'll recognize that and they'll see that you've made an investment in the success of the company. Those are the people that end up getting promoted into these roles, Is essentially the custodians of the company.
0: Yeah, that's that is excellent, excellent advice. One thing I'm interested, I guess, on the legal ops side, you can't help but think about technology and and the way that that's from contract management to, you know, billing technology that you know, has billing guidelines and shoots back bills and <laughs> does does all that stuff. Would you say to somebody like in my role, hey, learn learn about how that stuff works and see if there are any. Um, solutions that you could propose to your GC being proactive like that? Or um, or what would you say about the legal tech side of things? In that? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I have this sort of like, hobby of learning more about legal tech and legal operations, because I yeah. know it will make me better at my job, um, and will help me identify ways to as a you know, department in the company save cost and um, help my department scale at the rate yeah. an appropriate rate of the company's growth. Your right. your team has to be ready for that next stage of growth. How do you do that? In some instances, it's growing with people, but um, as as a a friend and and peer of mine, um, Chris Young at Ironclad has said. You know the the trick is not to to just grow with people; it's to scale with systems, and mm. and that's what the technology is like. You scale with with systems, not with with people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And part of that is is e billing software. Part of that, depending on the contracting needs of your company, could be um could be uh, contract software. Um. Yeah. Even things as simple as you know like electronic signing kind of software. Yeah. I really recommend to folks who are interested in learning more about about legal operations. Of course, there's CLOCK, which is, you know, the the organization that, uh, you know, um, is the front runner, the forerunner of of legal operations. But I have to give a shout out um, to Stephanie Corey at Uplevel Ops. She has been so generous of her time with me and sort of educating me about the the vendors out there and the options out there, um, and and has a great recurring series of of webinars and sort of like lunch and learns for anyone to join. It's not limited to folks who identify as legal operations professionals. It can really be be anyone, and I attend those and I always learn a ton at those um, at those webinars. So I have to give a shout out to, to Stephanie and everything that that she and her organization are doing.
0: Up level ops. I have not heard of them. I, I'm sure there's many like me. So you heard it here first. If you hadn't, up level ops. So check them out. That's fantastic. Any any other parting words of advice, Jackie? You've been so generous with your time. Um, any closing thoughts for for the aspiring GCs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, being a GC is a is a great gig. For me, I love it. It's there it's, it has tons of variety. You have, um, incredible, interesting opportunities. It's for someone that, um, you know, excels in pivoting, yeah. um, and, uh, in learning. And, um, it's, a, it's a, such an interesting role. And my parting thought would be, do, do what you're doing now. If you're listening to the podcast, just learn as much as you can about the role. Talk with people and um, be open to those opportunities. Like The best thing you can do is get your name out there and be sort of front of mind to people, whether it's within your organization or outside of your organization. Um, put yourself out there. Make that aspiration known and um, and and it, it could happen for you sooner than you think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a well, year. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Jackie, thank you so much. Uh, and, and this brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you, Jackie, for your time and providing aspiring GCs with practical and actual guidance as they pursue the path to becoming a GC. And thank you, aspiring GCs for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the APA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in house subcommittee, to dphamm at gmail.com. That's dphamm at gmail.com.